0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk
1: with your host, Robert Land.
0: Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert along with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard 45 years in journalism between the two of us, over 35 covering sports in the Houston area. And later in the show, we're going to talk Astros. But since Texas, Texas training camp starts Wednesday, Sean, I decided to look at some of the more Fun prop bets out there. This number surprised me a little bit. Damian Pierce over under for yards this season is 900.5. I guess the .5 is real big, but 900.5. Last season, he had 939 yards in only 13 games. But you also have to factor in Devin Singletary into the mix. He's going to get some more carries and take those away. From uh, and there wasn't much in the way of a reliable backup. Of course, is he over or under? Sean nine hundred point five yards this year. What do you think?
1: Man, that's a tough one. Just kind of exploring this on my mind. I get why it's nine hundred because of his production last year. Missed the last uh, four games due to injury. However. It never felt serious. It never sounded serious. I remember him being available like once, maybe twice from the time that he was injured to the end of the season. And it just felt like a situation in which they figured out that, you know what? The dude could play and we're just going to shelve him. Even if it wasn't a playoff game, if the Texans were in a completely different situation last year, dude's playing once his ankle's right after a week or two. Now with Devin Singletary in the mix, And I think the question of how Bobby Slowick is actually going to be able to utilize both of these guys, it's going to be interesting because we know from a small sample size of 13 games last year and a crap offense to boot, Damian Pierce can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can do a lot of great things with the ball in his hands. It would behoove Bobby Slowick and the Texans to get him the football in any way, shape or form. And Devin Singletary, you know, is a really viable backup in this league. His health is probably going to dictate along with the usage and really just how fluid this offense is if Damian Pierce reaches that 900 mark or not. I'm going to go ahead and take the over just because I think Damian's going to be better than he was last year, even if it is limited touches because the offensive line should be better the offense should be better he's in his second year he himself should be better and so for all of those reasons i think we're going to see a breakout um performance from pierce on a team that actually matters this season
0: yeah i'll take the over i just like the offensive line and this offense and what they can do better than last year let's go to cj stroud passing yards total according to DraftKings. 3,400 yards. Mm. That's at 200 yards per game if he plays all the games. Do you like the over or under, Sean?
1: Man, you said 3,400? Yeah. From DraftKings? Yes. Okay. I'm looking at 3,200 from FanDuel. Granted, this was from earlier in the month. I don't know what would have changed, but... That's a hard number. If it's, We'll go with your number. We'll go with 3,400. And even if I went with FanDuel at 3,200, I'd probably still take the under, and here's why. Yeah. Um, Over the course of the last, I want to say, I can't remember if it's been 12 to 15 years, something along those lines. Maybe not that much. Maybe it was eight. Over the course of the last 15 rookie quarterbacks, how about that? I'll put it that way. The last 15 rookie quarterbacks, this 2023 class notwithstanding, the average number of yards thrown in a season by rookie quarterbacks is right at that 3,200-yard mark. I, I'm, I'm looking and I'm taking into account like um, uncertainty in the Slovak offense, Stroud maybe needing a little bit of a learning curve to get used to the offense, to get used to the NFL period the fact that he doesn't have any real weaponry, not named Robert Woods, and we are a little bit a hes- little hesitant to put all of our eggs in his basket. We don't know what you're getting out of Nico. You don't know anything about Noah Brown. You don't know anything about John Mechie. You don't know anything about Tank Dell. It's just so much unproven unknown. I, I-, I think it's an easy, easy take of the under. I have yeah. to go under.
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't have to convince me and – There is a potential that he could miss some games. Um, You don't know if he gets benched for a little bit for Case. I mean, I don't know. A lot of different things can happen. That number is a little bit too big for me. I agree with you. Next up, speaking of his weapons, Nico Collins receiving yards this season. The over-under that I saw was 632.5. 632.5. Just to give you a little bit more info, Sean, he averaged 48.5 yards per game last year, but he's only averaged 12 games played In his first two years, if he averages 50 yards per game this year, that's 600. So, of course, if he plays 12 games, so that's under 632.5. Of course, if he plays more than 12 games and he's about the same yardage total, it's the over. So what do you think? Over or under 632?
1: I'm going to take the over. And I think both things can be true. I think CJ can throw for less than 34. I think he can throw for less than 32, which I think he will. And I also think Nico Collins can catch for more than 630 yards for a couple of reasons. One, the Texans have got to figure out what they have in Nico Collins this year. Robert Woods is kind of like, at least this is how I'm viewing him, a Jimmy Ward, a Denzel Perryman, Corey Littleton. Um, I'm viewing him Shaq Mason, a Sheldon Rankins, you know, the adult in the room, the veteran in the room, a mentor, somebody to just kind of help bring these young guys along, but at the same time still be asked to produce. But at what level? I think if Nico Collins and C.J. Stroud slash Davis Mills slash Case Keenum, whoever the hell it turns out being for however long – if they just can't simply find chemistry with this guy, then I think after year four, you can definitively say it's a Nico problem, not a Houston Texans problem, not an offensive issue.
0: Isn't though this real hard, Sean, because you have Tank Dell and you have Dalton Schultz, two guys that a rookie quarterback is going to look when he gets in trouble and he might not hit that first one or two progressions, which is the wide guy. That to me makes this really complicated because I really do like Nico Collins, but it's a rookie quarterback.
1: It does. But you have to think about like, okay, you know, look, Schultz, we've talked about it since day one of his signing is going to be a great emergency valve for CJ Stroud uh, in this offense. Same Um, with Tank. Same with Tank. Though his usage and, you know, how much, how little and his health is a big question mark. That's the unproven and the unknown that I'm talking about in which the Texans have so much of. Also this, the Texans are going to run the football. They're going to run the hell out of the football. And if they're successful at running the football, if they're successful attacking the flats, the underneath routes, the the, the middling routes, then that's going to open up things for guys like Nico Collins and Robert Woods. So I think the Texans are going to be pretty successful at that. Just something tells me that Bobby Slowick... I, for whatever reason, maybe I'm drinking a little bit of the Kool-Aid, but I love the Shanahan system. I think he's taking that. I think he's putting his thumbprint on it. I think it's just going to look really, really good. I think it's going to take a little bit for the rest of the league to kind of catch up to what the Texans are doing. I think C.J. Stroud's going to surprise some people. I think a lot of what the Texans did in the draft and free agency are going to surprise some people. And for the simple fact, too, It should just simply yield more opportunities because you could close your eyes, play this thing blindfolded with D'Amico Ryans and Matt Burke heading up this defense with everything they did defensively in the draft and free agent-wise. It should just quite simply be better. And for that reason, I think the Texans are going to get a lot more opportunities, more touches to take some shots on offense.
0: Yeah, I I, I just can't go over because... Because of Schultz, because of Tank Dell, because he's a rookie quarterback, because of Singletary, for that matter, because I think that guy is going to be a great outlet for somebody like C.J. Stroud. And Nico's just got to show to me he can also stay on the field for a full season, too. And and that's something else we're going to have to look for. Dalton Schultz receiving yards, 500.5 yards, which is a real interesting number, Sean. This is one of my real, I I think, most difficult decisions because – 577 yards in 15 games last year for Dalton Schultz. 808 yards in 17 games the year before that. He hadn't been under 500 yards the last three seasons in Dallas, but it's a rookie quarterback. It's a new offense. What do you think?
1: I think if he's going to be the guy that the Texans hope he can be, and look, he's here on a very team friendly deal, who knows if the Texans don't come calling, if they're not in their situation. Who knows if Jerry Jones pulls the trigger and makes him an offer he can't refuse for an absorbent amount of money, which a lot of people thought he was going to get, if not in Dallas, then elsewhere, certainly. I think the guy's got game. I think he's a versatile player. I think he's a better blocker than a lot of people think. And quite simply, if he does what we all think he's going to do and not just even be that emergency valve for CJ Stroud, but be a top target for C.J. Stroud in this offense. And he's a guy that lowers his shoulder and gets some yak. I mean, I, I got to go the over with Dalton Schultz. And again, I think both can be true. If we anticipate C.J. Stroud to throw for fewer than 34 And I think 3,200 yards, but I'm calling for an over for Nico. I'm calling for an over for Dalton. An over doesn't mean I think he's going to catch for 900 yards. I just think he's going to go over, you know, 500 and some odd yards. I'll go 600 yards for Dalton. I'll go 680 for Nico. Uh, That puts you at 1280. So it's still looking pretty good to stay with the under on CJ.
0: Yeah, to me, it's easy call. It's the over as long as he stays healthy because you're talking – For a guy that's done it every single year, and I get it, it's a rookie quarterback, but somebody's got to catch the passes in this offense, and there's not many other guys on this field that I trust that have any history of doing it outside of Robert Woods who were worried about his health. So, yeah, to me, I agree with you. You take the over over under Will Anderson. Will Anderson sacks is 8.25. No idea how they calculate the .25, but Sean, does he have... More than 8.25 sacks, and I'm over-under.
1: Let's just call it eight, <laughs> but it's a it's an interesting interesting number, right? So, over-under eight sacks. What was it? Uh, two years ago, I believe it was Jonathan Grenard who led all Texan pass rushers with eight sacks. Maybe it was eight and a half, something like that. And nobody has been in the double digits since J.J. Watt wore a Houston Texan uniform. Will Anderson sacks in his rookie season. Could I see it happening in this defense? I'm going under. I'm going under. You're going under. I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over. I really think Will Anderson is going to be special, but just how quickly is he going to be special? That's the question. I I have a good feeling about this defense with D'Amico. I love what they have in the secondary. I love it. Without Steven Nelson, mind you. And that's, that's something else that we're going to continue to have to keep an eye on and address at a later date. But, yeah, I love, I love the 8.25 number over for Will Anderson.
0: The only reason I'm going under is because Will Anderson, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him to do, do a much better job in this defense than we saw last year controlling the run. I think they're going to have yeah. to let him focus a little bit more on that. I don't think he's going to get the leeway that he got at Alabama. To go after the pass rusher, um, I think they they were a little bit more open because they had guys in the middle that they could trust and, and guys you know on the second level that they could trust. So sure. for that reason, I'm taking Will Anderson in the under. He is the favorite, Sean, to win r- defensive rookie of the year. He's at plus 400. Behind Anderson is Eagles defensive tackle Jalen Carter, Raiders pass rusher. Tyree Wilson, we heard him talked about with the Texans, Seahawks quarterback, Devin Weatherspoon. Would you put your money on Will Anderson to win this award, or are you taking the field? I'm taking the field.
1: It's tough because I just don't know what to expect from a lot of those other guys, particularly you know the other pass rushers, interior linemen, Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson. I don't know much about the corner that you mentioned. But I think, again, in this situation, both could be true. I think Will could surpass that 8.25 sack total coming into the season and still lose, you know, the rookie of the year. Because if Jalen Carter is who we all thought he was going to be and still could be, obviously, you know, before the car accident and that whole fiasco with that drama, I was thinking, like, man, the Texans have to take this guy. (laughs) They have to take this guy. And really, it was a coin flip. You give me Will Anderson, you give me Jalen Carter, I'm happy. And I think a lot of Houston Texan fans would feel the same way. But, yeah, I think he can go over the sack total and still not win defensive rookie of the year because you're also talking about two really stout defensive players uh, in Tyree Wilson and uh, Jalen Carter. So, yeah, I mean, I'll take the field. I'm with you there. I think it's an easy play. I think it's an easy play, but I also think it's a smart play.
0: Yeah, and I I don't know if that's much of a – Uh, a a winner if you're going to these websites but i'm just (laughs) throwing that out there Uh, i'm gonna throw just a couple prop bets at you that i made up Derek stingley games played we know how important this little number is
1: what did he play last year was it eight or nine
0: i i think it was was it nine last year i want to say it was nine
1: i think it was nine as well i gotta double check
0: I'm setting it at eleven and a half. Eleven and a half. I'll double check why you're talking about it, but it's a, I'll set it at eleven and a half. I'm Ooh. trying to, I'm trying to trip you up with this one.
1: All right, Derek Stingley, you're going to set it at eleven and a half. He played nine games last year. I'm going to go the over. I mean, it's a 17 game season. They just signed Jonathan Joseph to the uh, training camp coaching staff, and if this turns into something even a little bit bigger, maybe he takes on kind of like a Andre Johnson type of a role, you know, that Dre had for a couple of years working with the receivers and the Texans. I already think it's a great thing that Jimmy Ward is in-house. I already think it's a great thing that just in the secondary period, Jalen Petrie had the year that he did last year and has the expectation coming into year two that that he does from people. I think it's a good thing for Derek Stingley because we're going to find out a little bit Just what kind of a player, what kind of a person he is. Is this dude going to be a dog? Is this dude going to be a grinder? Is this guy going to come in with a chip on his shoulder? If not for that situation last year, you know, the trifecta of three straight years of hot, stinky, burning trash that the Texans were as an organization, does Derek Stingley play? So maybe we put a little bit too much emphasis on that injury and the amount of games played I would anticipate him playing and toughing it out a little bit more this year in a season that actually counts, a season that actually matters in terms of wins, not just losses. So I think eleven and a half, if you're gonna set it that, I'll take the over.
0: I'm taking the under until Derek Stingley proves that he can stay on a football field. CJ Stroud interceptions. CJ Stroud, I went the other way. I didn't go touchdowns because this is where I thought I could really trip you up. 18 and a half is what I set the number at. Sean I put it at 18 and a half because that's about how many Deshaun Watson would have had his rookie year if he had played all 17 games. Remember, he got hurt. So it was about 18 and a half he was on pace for. Yeah, but how many
1: games did Deshaun play? His
0: yeah, that's what year? no, I'm saying he was on pace. He had eight interceptions in six and a half games, and that was when he was still learning how to play quarterback. Right. But I'm gonna say if it played out that way, he would have had some rough spots, a couple of bad games and it would equal equaled out, and he would have had about 18 and a half interceptions. So do you like the over or under for C.J. Stroud? It's a little over, little over one
1: per game. It's a lot to unpack yeah. there. Um, one, I mean, I get the comparison. The last franchise quarterback the Texans thought they had was Deshaun Watson, and this is the next one in C.J. Stroud. So I get the comparison a little bit, but I don't know if you need a gun to your head to say that if I asked you, who are you more excited about coming in as the starting quarterback for this franchise you just said deshaun watson because you could see it you could feel it the guy had been a champion at the highest level but the question about
0: deshaun watson coming in you may have forgotten this was his accuracy he had some interceptions in college, they were concerned about his accuracy coming
1: in. And C.J.
0: Stroud, C.J. Stroud coming in. What do we hear about C.J. Stroud? Accuracy.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. But, here, you know, what was true for Deshaun... To kind of combat that accuracy issue was that he had a really good safety valve in DeAndre Hopkins to throw the football to. How accurate did you need to be when you just need to throw it up in the vicinity of that guy and he can come down with the ball? You don't have that luxury here, at least that we don't know yet, with CJ Stroud. Well,
0: but 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 did he have a Dalton Schultz? Did he have uh, two guys with the potential that we think that Tank Dell and John Mechie might have? In the slot at, at, as as safety valves, did he have a Devin Singletary to, to, to if he got in trouble? I mean, I
1: possibly. I, I don't possibly. think
0: I don't think he did at that point.
1: It was certainly a more veteran, more understood. Like you had, I, I, I would venture to guess a better expectation of what he had around him. You know, here is just so much. You don't know. I mean, anytime you're talking about ACL, especially with Robert Woods, hey, this is he was healthy last year. Why can't we just be uh, positive and think that? Well, hey, he was healthy last year. He should be healthy this year. Like the ACL is behind him. It's two years ago. But I think it's much deeper than just personnel. What's around him. Uh, in talking about this number that you put out there, 18, did you say 18 or 18 and a half interceptions? Eight,
0: 18 and a half.
1: 18 and a half. I think it's more than personnel. I think it's also how many opportunities is he going to get? If he starts week one, then, you know, we I don't even want to talk about health because anybody can get hurt. I'll just say this, that going back to that same research that I uh, referenced about the uh, over-under in terms of yardage that CJ Stroud uh, throws for this year. Over the last 15 rookie quarterbacks, I want to say the average amount of interceptions for those guys was at 13 and a half. And I don't have the hard numbers in front of me. I wrote about it. You can check the article out on sportsradio610.com. It's all those numbers, what to anticipate, expect from a rookie quarterback, whether or not they start week one or not. I think it's 13 and a half. I just think 18 is really high. And because he is so accurate, even despite going into camp, without having a really reliable and somebody that you can become mentally comfortable with that he can throw the ball to not named Dalton Schultz. I'm still going to take the under at 18 and a
0: half. Yeah. The number that you threw out there over the last 15 rookie quarterbacks, it can get a little bit skewed because we just That's added another game to the schedule. We just added, uh, 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 there's one more game on this schedule, more, which yep. allows one more chance at, at, at having those kind of mistakes. I mean, I remember a guy that everybody loves now, like one of the greatest of all time, his rookie season, Peyton Manning. You remember how many interceptions that he had 28.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He
0: had 28 interceptions. He got down to 15 by year two, but he had 28 coming out of there. So that's why I I thought 18 and a half is a pretty fair number. Davis Mills did not have that many interceptions that I can recall, but uh, Davis Mills, I believe missed, uh, you know, some games too. So yeah. You have factor that I, in as well. And and of course the same thing that could happen to CJ Stroud, but I believe in his accuracy and I believe in this offensive game plan to set him up in the best positions to where he's not throwing interceptions. So yeah, I agree with you. I, you, I you will take be, the under.
1: You can be accurate but make poor decisions. You yeah. know, and, and I really think you have to take that into account as well. And it I'm still gonna stay with the under, but Context is important, you know, and even if the comparison isn't a fair or a perfect comparison, when you bring up Deshaun Watson and what he was on pace for in 2017 for his rookie season, yeah, okay, he was on pace for 18 picks, and he only played in six games, but that's like a third of the season. That's a little more than a third of the season, and Deshaun looked pretty freaking good You know, uh, for about three of those six games, like really freaking good. Like the Deshaun, like so good. He was the Deshaun in those three games out of those six that he started and played in that we got comfortable with real quick in 18 and 19. So I, I think just taking that into account. 18 is still a little high of a number for me, and it's less about the accuracy and more about the decision-making. One big takeaway from this OTA session a month or so ago that the Texans wrapped up was that when you watch C.J. Stroud go up and down the field in 7-on-7, and especially when they in practice in like specific scenarios, like, all right, 4th and 16 and the ball's on the opponent's 45-yard line, what are you going to do? He made no bones, didn't pull any punches. He was taking shots. He was taking shots and just seeing what he could do, what he was capable of. And you know what? A lot of the time it worked out, (laughs) but it's also against no pads and it's your own defense that you should be, even a couple of weeks into a system, pretty damn familiar with. So just taking all that into context, I'm still taking the under on 18 and a half picks.
0: All right. Last thing I've got for you on this, Jalen Petrie missed 36 tackles last year. That was eight more than any other NFL player. Yeah. On the other end of the spectrum, he had 99 solo tackles. So I'm going to throw two over-unders at you for Jalen Petrie. I'll put the over-under missed tackles at 21 and a half. So I'm going to let you get all excited about firing on the over because I'm picking 14 and a half difference from one year to the other. But you assume that's something that he's been working on. So I hope, hopefully I've got you at least thinking about it a little bit. The over-under on solo tackles, it was 99. I'm taking that down to 83 and a half. And everybody goes, well, it's his second year. Shouldn't his solo tackles even be better? Or should he be matching that? And, of course, Sean shaking his head no, because you got to drop it on the assumption that this year the safeties don't need to make nearly as many tackles. So, Sean, 21 and a half missed tackles, 83 and a half solo tackles. What's your over-under? What do you think?
1: I'll take the uh, solo tackles first. You're putting it at eighty-three and a half. I'll go ahead and take, and that's still a difference of about fifteen and a half, sixteen tackles. So I'll take the under. I'll take the under at eighty-three and a half. I believe is what you said, eighty-three or eighty-three yeah. and a half. I'll take the under on that. Now, as far as the missed tackles, going from thirty-six last year, which was a league high by a lot, eight in fact, is what you said, and you're going to set the bar at twenty-one and a half. Yeah. Missed tackles this year. I would like to know from a context, you know, just for some context, like what 21 and a half meant in 2022, who had 21 and a half missed tackles? Where was that ranking? Was that like, if you said, all right, somebody had 21 and a half missed tackles at the strong safety position. Is that a good thing? No, no, no. Is that a bad thing? No, it's bad. (laughs)
0: That's bad. It's real bad. Like, like I said, he had eight – at 36, he had eight more than the second-worst person. That means the second-worst person had 28. 21 yeah. and a half has still got to be pretty pretty poor. But for him, this would be a huge improvement. Huge improvement. But I, I also you know, assume that he's not going to have to make as many in, open field tackles too.
1: chances – Chances is, you know, the linchpin here. You know, how many opportunities will he have that he had last year? How many fewer opportunities should he have this season? If we're going to say that he's going to make 16, at least 16 fewer solo tackles and make, uh, what, 15 more, at least 15 more would-be tackles, period, That's pretty good, man. I'll take the under. I'll take the under at twenty-one and a half. So I'll take two unders. I I think he uh, hits the under for solo tackles at eighty-three and a half. I'll take the under there, and I think he hits the under for twenty-one and a half missed tackles. I like that. I feel good about it.
0: Yeah, I'm going to take the over, but I think it's going to be close. It'll be like twenty-two. Or I mean, I feel like it's that's right, right where the number should be. It's right about there.
1: But just just for context, okay? Because. All these things, you know, you can kind of like you start to paint a picture, right? Of like, okay, what you actually think this team is going to do, what they're capable of. All right. Hey, look, I had over Nico for receiving yards. I had over Dalton for receiving yards. I took the under for CJ Stroud in yards passing. But Jalen Petrie's a baller, and you and everybody else could see that last year. Guys like that stick out like a sore thumb when they play for a crappy team, a crappy defense. Both were true last year for the Houston Texans. This is supposed to be markedly improved, and I stand by this. It's got to be the most improved team on paper from where they'd come from to where they are right now in the entire freaking league. So for that reason, I think this team is going to be better up the middle at stopping the run. I think they're going to be better on the edge at stopping the run. The linebackers, there is a massive question mark until there isn't. There is, to me, people are not talking about that position group enough because it matters. D'Amico is a former linebacker. And when you've got guys like Christian Kirksey, Denzel Perryman, Corey Littleton, and a second-year player in Christian Harris, who, for all intents and purposes, is still a freaking rookie. That is a huge number of question marks for the most important position group, not the front, uh, not not the, the the four down linemen. Because I think your secondary right now, even without Steven Nelson, is pretty damn good. I think a lot of teams would take the Texans secondary. And so for that reason, to expect Jalen Petrie to put up uh, another stellar season, and he did last year, even with all those missed tackles. I, I think is very fair.
0: Well, what's the reason why they're not talking about the linebackers? I, I can give it to you in, in in two words. What do you think the reason is?
1: I don't know. I I, I don't know because there is not a staple guy in that linebacker core. Your highest paid and well, that's that's familiar it. Familiar guy on this Houston Texans roster. His name is Christian Kirksey, and he very well might be a cap casualty. You don't know what Corey Littleton can, can give you. I mean, he was a Pro Bowler like what five years ago. You don't know what Denzel Perryman can give you. He was a Pro Bowler like two or three, four years ago, and you don't really know in what capacity Christian Harris is going to flourish. He has some well, raw it, talent, it, raw ability.
0: It, it's two words though. You you you're you're you didn't answer my question. The reason well, I don't why? Know. The reason why? I know. no buzz, no buzz, because because there's no top draft picks there. And like other positions where you have Derek Stingley and Jalen Petrie in the first and the second round and Will Anderson in the first round on the other side of the football, they're loaded with first rounders on the Mm -hmm. offensive line. You know, wide receiving core, not so much, but Nico Collins was at least a second round pick. That's the position group where there's just not high draft picks. Yeah. It
1: doesn't mean you shouldn't be talking about them because Look at Jerry Hughes last year. Led this team in sacks with, I believe, eight and a half, nine sacks.
0: Well, it's it's boring to talk about guys that don't have high ceilings, and I yeah, don't but think you know what's fun Christian. to talk
1: about is your team actually trying to win football games again, and your defense being a big reason why, and one of the most important position groups on your defense is is struggling with the most the depth issue, and so. I bring up Jerry Hughes because he was such a beast on the edge last year. Eight and a half sacks, nine sacks, I believe it was for this team. You're expecting Will Anderson to be much of the same on the opposite side of Jerry Hughes this season. And look, I know there's some other guys there. There's going to be sacks out there. Jonathan Bernard, how does he factor in? Rasheem Green, is he even a member of this team, you know, beyond training camp? I don't know. There's some other talented pass rushers here. Jacob Martin's in camp with the Texans. You know, let's see how that goes. But If you're going to be good on the edge, then where does the run go? It goes right back up the middle. They were horrible up the middle last year. They had no thumper in that linebacker core. And on paper right now today, they don't have a thumper in that linebacker core. But that's the
0: reason, John. You're asking what's the reason, and you just keep saying it. There isn't a guy that anybody's excited about. You do not have to explain to Texans fans how important the defense is in the linebacking core. They know it, but you're asking the question. There's no buzz. Why does not anybody care? Because these guys are not high draft choices. Why do you expect anybody to get excited? Nobody's seen them, Sean. We I'm haven't even played them. I'm not saying we, get
1: excited. I'm not yeah. saying get excited. I'm saying pay attention to it. If you're going to talk about this team being better and improved, then a key piece to that is the linebacker core. And so I don't think people are talking about it enough in relation to how important it is that they don't have depth there right now. And that's a big, big if going into training camp and it could be even a bigger if going into the regular season, if it stands as status quo.
0: Yeah. I just feel like I'm repeating myself over and over again because but you don't have to, because I get what you're saying. There's a miscommunication because the question you asked was why aren't people excited about it? And I've, and I've tried to explain to you, That's why they're not excited about
1: it. Well, I mean, I clearly went deeper than just excitement. I mean, and we're talking about overall success. You know what I'm saying? I don't care if you're excited about a guy that's a fourth-round pick or a first-round pick. Hell, get excited about Henry Toa Toa. Maybe maybe that's a guy that you can get excited about.
0: (laughs) Real real quick, uh, trade deadline a week away for the Astros. Uh, What do you think it's going to cost them to get what they want in a trade? And I assume – For a starting pitcher, we know bullpen additions it might cost you a mid to lower tier prospect. That's it.
1: I mean, I go back to this, uh, to this well. Where do you have the most pieces in which you'd be willing to part? And if you do part with one of those pieces, is it going to be the right one? And how much is it going to hurt? And I I just, I don't like it. Trades hurt. And I feel like whatever deal is done and there will be one done, it's going to freaking hurt. And I'm talking about the outfielders, you know, between jokes and Myers and McCormick to hell with, you know, blind madras and guys like that. They offer no value. Kessinger offers no value. Get out of here with that stuff. It's just going to cost you major league talent right now. Well, I I mean, if you
0: ask the fans and you ask the Astros organization, nobody's saying, oh, it's going to hurt to give up Myers or jokes. The only one that would really hurt is McCormick. That's it.
1: yeah, that would hurt. That, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if we're being fair, like, Jokes has played an integral part, you know, in this team's success. Uh, in, <laughs> and McCormick has
0: goals. three years of club control. Mm-hmm. Arbitration, yes, but club value. control
1: left. Yeah, you want to talk about value. He obviously uh, brings the most value, and he's been one of your best hitters and best defenders this year, and if you lose him, that's going to hurt. And you probably are going to lose him if you get the top-of-the-line pitcher um, but it,
0: it. but but he cannot be the best prospect or the best player in a, in a top of the lines. There's too many other teams with better farm systems and more mm-hmm. stuff to give. I you know I, I'm just amazed that Astros fans are like you know we'll get we've got three nickels for you. We want we want your hundred dollar bill for our three nickels.
1: Exactly. I mean, well, that's every trade proposal every year in the history of sport. But it's
0: it, I've ball. never seen the I mean I've never seen the ridiculousness that I've seen in some of these Astros social media.
1: Listen days. to sports talk radio. <laughs> yeah. More. <laughs> I used to hate fielding those phone calls. I'm glad I don't have to do that one so much anymore. But you hit the nail in the head. Um, and this is this is how I see it that when you don't have top-of-the-line prospects to wheel and deal to get exactly what you want, what you need. And, you know, per Dana Brown, the Houston Astros, they'd like to get a top-of-the-line starter and some help in the bullpen. Those have been uh, the top two things most talked about over the course of the last couple of months. I know once upon a time ago, he'd said he'd like to have a left-handed bat, but I think this this team is going to get the job done uh, from an offensive point of view, especially when Altuve comes back and Jordan comes back and they're healthy and producing, you need pitching a starter and at least one reliever. What you're going to have to give up is multiple mediocre prospects in your farm system and some major league talent to get that done. But if you're giving up major league talent to get that done, Chaz McCormick, I don't know who else you could possibly throw in there that wouldn't hurt severely hurt the Astros offensively right now that you could get a really top of the line starter and or two solid relievers in this bullpen that would make you feel better about the fact that you don't have to rely on the same three four dudes every single night that's going to run these guys yeah the, the,
0: the bullpen guys should be not difficult we've seen the other general managers of the Astros have had, especially James Click. James Click was a master at that. And we're going to see how good Dana Brown is at getting the relievers for a small price because he he got a ton of those guys. Kendall Graveman was a perfect example of of somebody like that. But when I look at one prospect that I would be nervous about giving up if I was the Astros, boy, if you guys don't know about Luis Baez, 19-year-old Dominican outfielder, he's hitting about 400 with a Over 1,000 OPS Mm -hmm. in in Fayetteville for the Woodpeckers right now. This kid is, he's a young stud, but he might be somebody that they can dangle. You know, if you're not willing to dangle Drew, uh, you can dangle Baez because, you know, those are the type of guys that, you know, stud prospects that you might have to give up. And we talk about how do you get the offense better? I keep saying, everybody else keeps saying, oh, we got to go out and get a lefty bat or whatever. You know what? They don't need a lefty bat. No. The offense is sitting in the dugout. Jose Altuve, unfortunately, is sitting in the dugout. Uh, Jordan Alvarez is sitting in the wrong dugout, as you and I are speaking. Yeah. Sitting in the dugout is uh, Yonor Diaz. That improves your offense probably by a 1,000. And also in the batter's box is a guy named Alex Bregman and, and another guy named... Jeremy Pena, and those guys, you got to get more out of those guys. You know what? Alex Bregman, clutch, 1,000 OPS this year with runners in scoring position. Runners It might even be runners on base, but runners in scoring position, 1,000. But Alex Bregman, if there's not guys on base, that doesn't mean you need to just give up the at-bat. 600 OPS when there's nobody on base. He's got to be the Alex Bregman that we used to see a few years ago that guy's got to show up again it's not like he's 53 he's it's he's in his prime right now
1: 100 100 uh you mentioned jeremy pena we're a week away from the trade deadline is jeremy pena an alcs a world series mvp is he going to be traded by this astros ball club Nah, i don't see it happening what's the last world series mvp that was traded the following season.
0: I just so don't there, think you has it ever happened. <laughs> you don't panic about a, a guy that has having a couple, he just, he's had a couple bad months. He, he actually was good. And if you look at his early numbers, they were good and they were better than they were last year. Overall, they weren't world series MVP good, but they were better. Yeah. And then the last two months he's looked lost at the plate. Look, I've watched Corey jokes and Yonar Diaz and Chas McCormick all look better at identifying a ball in his strike when it's coming at him. Jeremy Pena swings at stuff in his eyes, two feet off the plate. If you throw him a slider, you might as well just, uh, you know, call it a call it a day and run back to the dugout. Cause he's going to swing and miss and the at-bat's going to be over with, but I don't know what the deal is, but he's got to get better at identifying the ball when it comes at him.
1: I agree with you. Um, I, I asked you that just to kind of see your reaction. I, I hope they don't trade him um, just because, look, team control, obviously what he did last year, the ceiling, the promise, and I like him. I think he's kind of the the product of what we've been seeing and hearing and really talking about all season long. When When you've got so many guys that are injured, underperforming, um, and or you're just simply lacking, and your ball club isn't where it has been over the course of the last six years in the standings. I think it looks and feels worse. I think it certainly feels worse. Um, in relation to Jeremy Pena, you know, being a 239 hitter, 240 hitter, and on base percentage is horrible, the pop's not there right now in the regular season. And, you know, the miscues in the field, you pay a little bit closer attention to when he does make them. And you're just like, ah, let's trade him, you know. And there is value there because he's young. There is a ceiling. And there is years of control. But that could be yours. And I think it should be kept in-house with the Astros. I don't think Jeremy Payne is untouchable per se. But I I just – I do hope he's an Astro going forward because I think he's a much – larger part of the solution than, than the problem. I think the Astros have a lot of problems and I just don't feel like that. He's one of them. I don't know that he would be one guy that if you make a bold move this year inside of this next week, Robert, then that's Jim Crane. That's Dana Brown saying to the fans, saying to the ball club that, Hey, things haven't gone as planned, but we believe in this team and you could still make a world series run. That's why you do something like that right now. You can I, make a run. I, and- I don't.
0: I don't think. I don't think getting rid of Jeremy Pena is a dumb question because as good as he was in the playoffs, it's just. It's just a month. That's it. It's mm-hmm. one month. He wasn't spectacular last year. His OPS was nothing special. His OPS has been nothing special this year. Mm-hmm. His defense, albeit a Gold Glove last year, I thought it was a kind of surprising Gold Glove to me. To be honest with you, with the errors that he made. Um, I, I think he's been good this year at shortstop. I don't think it's like, oh, and, and they just drafted a shortstop, by the way, in the first round. So somebody that I'm sure they might be very high on. So it's not crazy, but trying to replace your shortstop midstream when, you, when you're when you trying to go for a World Series, to me, that might be a little bit nutty. And then you figure that this kid has got something in him because you saw maybe that glimpse that he could, he could be good in their sophomore slumps. And all of that stuff. You know, Sean, I've been doing this show for, it'll be 10 years in about seven or eight weeks. We're almost to 10 years I've been doing Mm -hmm. Houston Sports Talk. And, you know, sometimes in life, you, you don't know what leads to what. And I went to a wedding on Saturday. And if it wasn't for this show, there wouldn't have been the wedding. Because 10 years ago, I started this show. And then a few years later, I was lucky enough to... Because I was doing this show, I got Locked On Texans, the podcast. I was the original host of the Locked On Texans podcast, and then I got as my co-host, I got Brian Patterson, who was with House of Houston at that time. And lucky for me, he's become a great friend. And it, you know, one of the big benefits that I'm doing this show is you and and Brian have become great friends doing this show with me and Stephen, who was my former co-host. Was also fantastic and and a, and a great friend, but uh, one day after one of the shows, I said, "Brian, come out to this happy hour," and uh, I'm going to this happy hour tonight, and uh, or or in a couple of days, and and so he came out, and I said, "I see a couple people that I recognize," and I said, "Brian, here's so and so and so and so," and they introduced us to their friend, and Saturday, Brian married that girl. So congratulations to Brian Patterson. Um, It it makes me feel good that something like that came from what we're doing. Something good came from, you know, me and him going to that, that there that night. And you just, you just never know. I mean, it's what, what happens in life. It's, it's pretty crazy. And I I just can't tell everybody that how excited I am that we're, we're almost at 10 years in, in, in a couple of months. And if you, Enjoy the show. Go tell your friends to listen to us and watch us. Uh, We would really appreciate it. We're going to be doing Texans post-game shows again this year, which has been a tradition to do the Texan post-game shows. Uh, We started doing them live last year. We're going to do them again live this year. Sean is out there at Texans training camp. He's going to be telling us what's going on. So you get all that stuff, and you never know who's going to show up. You've heard Case Keenum and David Anderson and Glover Quinn in the last few months. You've heard Mirren Fader from The Ringer was on in the last few months. Um, we've had some fantastic guests over the years. Uh, Sage Rosenfels has been on the show, former Texans quarterback. Um, you know, just, oh, yeah. And there's guys like Altuve and Bregman and Correa, you know, and and somebody named Simone Biles. You might have heard of her, Olympic champion multiple times. So, uh, it's just been great. And I'm just remind everybody out there, it's been 10 years and I appreciate you guys listening to us and watching us. And, and, and I love Sean for helping me do this show.
1: Good stuff, man. That was a cool story, by the way, uh, with Brian, (laughs) I think, uh, if we're all being honest to some degree, maybe not as cool as that, um, maybe doesn't hit as close to the heart as that one did for you, but we all kind of have something like that, you know, um, what's that rule, you know, the, uh, three degrees, six degrees of separation, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. And you had me thinking about it. It's like, well, you know, I wouldn't have met my wife if I wouldn't have just, uh, decided to go into broadcasting school at U of H after I, you know, had three different opportunities to join the Marine Corps, uh, before I, uh, uh, became a sophomore in college and and, and picked a major. And so now she's my wife, (laughs) you know, (laughs) You know, it's just one of those crazy deals, man. So, hey, good stuff, and I'm glad to be a part of the show, man.
0: Yeah, and just a reminder, if you're new to this, get into go to YouTube and look under some of the playlists if you like Houston sports history, because I I have posted up clips and full interviews from a lot of our best stuff, stuff that is just about history. So you'll listen to it, and it's not going to feel old or whatever, but... There's an Astros and an Oilers and a Rockets and a Texans and a Houston Cougars playlist with some of those clips of old interviews and old interviews. But there's also just all of them are in a, in a Houston sports history playlist. And there's hundreds and hundreds of hours there. So if you get bored at work or if you're on a family trip or if you need something to keep you company at the gym, it's, it's all good stuff to listen to. Go check that out and and keep listening to us. We'll be back on Thursday, Sean, with some Texans training camp. I am
1: ready. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by
0: subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening we